Alexa, play the Fighting Irish Faithful podcast. Playing Fighting Irish Faithful. You're listening to the Fighting Irish Faithful Show, episode 24, Daylight Edition. Thank you everyone for joining me this podcast we are going to discuss notre dame's new defensive coordinator marcus freeman do a little bit of who's leaving for our notre dame's players and we're going to do some rose bowl reflections with some hot takes on the coaching staff so get ready for the second to last podcast of this season from yours truly pour yourself a drink let's go irish Walks, looks, 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 has the time, lost the ball, the pass is spread it down, it's ran down by Curry. Dawson throws, open receiver in the end zone, touchdown, Notre Dame, somehow, the Irish did it. Out of the pack, 30, 35, goodbye baby, at the 50, the 40, the 30, the 20, the 10, by fire rocket touchdown, Irish. Zubikowski looking for a block. Touch to the right to the 40. Gets a block. Gets to the 45. 50. Up to the 45. 40. 30. One minute to beat. 20. 15. 10. He's down to the 5. Touchdown, Irish. What's going on, Fighting Irish Faithful? Thank you, everyone, for joining me. Daylight Edition. This is the first podcast I have done during the day. I don't know if that makes me a gremlin or a vampire or... Uh, what's some other mythological uh, creature like a troll uh, that doesn't podcast during the day? So good day. Hello. Good afternoon. Uh, I guess this is what you do on a Saturday when there isn't college football on right now because I really don't care about the NFL too much. I mean, I'll watch the Super Bowl, but, you know, uh, doesn't get my mojo going. So here we are podcasting on a Saturday afternoon. Everyone, thank you for joining me. You can find me on YouTube at fighting irish faithful twitter at faithful underscore irish go ahead and follow me or i'll probably follow you and email of course at fighting irish faithful at gmail.com in addition to all the podcast sites such as google play apple spotify uh smartphone speaker whatever alexa thing all right i take full responsibility for not podcasting sooner i've got stuff going on it's the beginning of the year you know got to get back into the groove with work uh just got stuff around the house had a lot of meetings after work uh got to sign up for that gym membership like you do every january 1st (laughs) all of that kind of good stuff so uh in addition to going to the gym um this may be one of the last few scotches i drink uh because hey we're gonna we're gonna clean up the diet and all that so we're gonna go good here we went back to the bunahaben 12 year old single malt isla scotch whiskey it's great uh, and wonderful. Instead of diving straight back into the Rose Bowl, um, I don't want to have that much pain right off the bat with this podcast. There has been some news this past week. If you've been living under a rock or, you know, just recovering from COVID or something, Notre Dame has replaced their defensive coordinator, Clark Lee, after taking the Vandy job. They have replaced him with Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator from Cincinnati. Now, I haven't quantified how great 
of a hire this is, but this is a damn good hire. Just going through the numbers here, uh, Marcus Freeman and Cincinnati, and these orders in from least important to most important, in my opinion. Passing yards was 39th versus Notre Dame's 61st. Turnover margin, 25th in the country versus Notre Dame's 19th. Tackles for loss, 24th in the country versus Notre Dame's 18th. Sacks per game, 16th at three sacks per game versus Notre Dame's 40th. Total defense, 13th in the country, Notre Dame 25th. Scoring defense, 8th in the country. Top 10 scoring defense, 16.8 points versus Notre Dame's 19.7. Grant, Notre Dame played two really good opponents the last two games and lost, but hey. Uh, third down defense, 22nd in the country versus Notre Dame, 11th. But rushing yards, 14th in the country versus Notre Dame, 17th. Average rush defense, the most important defensive category in my opinion, 111 yards. So you add up all those rankings, Clark Lee versus Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman, 161 points. Clark Lee, 205. So this year alone in a vacuum, uh, one defensive coordinator versus the other. Marcus Freeman scored better in those categories for the season. So damn good hire. Uh, next week we'll have to quantify him against uh, other uh, programs, top programs, to really see of all the defensive coordinators who we could possibly have gotten. Is this the best of the best? Um, but this is a damn good hire, especially a guy who's from the Midwest. Freeman was a Ohio State Buckeye and then was in the NFL for a year and then did some coaching at Ohio State. He was at Purdue for a little while and then went over to Cincinnati and now he's at Notre Dame. So he is the toast tonight, the latest addition to the staff. Coach Freeman, cheers to you. Oh, that was a terrible cling. There we go. All right. Um, Next, moving on, uh, in this week, it seems that the players are just uh, departing the ship here. You know, the life life vests have been thrown overboard and people are diving off the sinking ship. At least that's what it kind of looks like after two big losses. But now nah, that this is expected, uh, lots of guys, of course, departing for, you know, NFL draft prospects and and whatnot. And many of these names should not surprise anyone. Um, people like Ian Book. Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, Tommy Tremble, it's a little bit of a surprise, but he's had a good year. Sean Crawford, Dalen Hayes, Jameer Smith, no, Jameer Smith is transferring. Uh, ben Skoranek, Javon McKinley, Nick McLeod, Brock Wright, uh, Ade Ogundeji, and Aaron Banks. I think that the biggest impact, other than Book, is going to be Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, Dalen Hayes, Ogundeji, and Aaron Banks. Those guys uh, clearly made impactful contributions to the team this year. And best of luck to them uh, for their NFL aspirations. I probably won't be watching them ever again, but hey, that's okay. As far as transferring goes, uh, some of these I'm not too upset with here. Jack Lamb, Jameer Smith, Jafar Armstrong and Houston Griffith. You know, these guys just weren't getting the playing time or just there's other stuff going on in the background and they're seeing light outside of South Bend or they're just sick of the winter and they're just moving on. So let's get into the reflections of Notre Dame's Rose Bowl game versus Alabama. I'm going to break down this next piece into 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. I know it sounds like we've got a Western uh, theme here going on here. But uh, first, let's start with the good. Let's be positive here. There are some good nuggets that we can take away from this game. I've had a week to digest, really think about these things, and I actually, you know, give a slow clap or, you know, quiet nod uh, to those kind of things. First and foremost, Notre Dame covered the spread. Um, I know losing by 17 points doesn't mean a lot, but covering the spread, what did I say in my last episode? If Notre Dame could do that, I would be happy. I would consider that a success, quote unquote, for this game. I mentioned Alabama had players that were better, their coaches were better, their scheme was better, uh, the numbers they were putting up were going to be very difficult to overcome. And if they could cover the spread, losing by only 17, not 20 or more, I would consider that successful. I had lowered my expectations to that point. And by lowering my expectations, I was very calm. I was very relaxed during the game. I did yell at times, right? Like, why the hell are we doing that? And, you know, that kind of stuff. But even the doc was, I wouldn't say she was surprised, but she did notice and made mention that you were very calm during the game. I was. I mean, it, for losing by 17 points, this is probably the calmest loss I've ever had in my life because I had mentally reflected and mentally already accepted defeat. Another bonus, Clemson lost by more points to Ohio State, 21, versus Notre Dame's loss to Alabama. Clemson was a seven-point favorite over the Buckeyes, and man, talk about a 28-point swing right there. Uh, so Clemson's loss looks worse than Notre Dame's loss to Alabama. So uh, good for Notre Dame there, I suppose. Notre Dame won the time of possession. They had controlled the ball for about 33 minutes or 56% of the game, and they ran 80 plays on offense. That's quite large compared to Alabama's 55 plays on offense. Granted, there's an efficiency with one team versus the other, which we'll get into later, but still, running 80 plays and owning the clock time of possession, I consider that a, a positive benefit for this game. The efficacy of it wasn't there, but still you won that that metric there uh rushing rushing was not terrible it wasn't great but you know we had about the same amount of rushing yards as alabama we held alabama to 140 yards and that is below their season average and notre dame had about 137 and notre dame had two rushing touchdowns one by book and one by kyron williams so uh, that's great for notre dame and Alabama had zero rushing touchdowns, so we held them there. On that note, Najee Harris, who averages 2.2 touchdowns per game, had zero, and we held him to 125 yards. So I consider that a success as well. We contain him as much as possible, with the exception of his hurdle. Alabama, this was the lowest points total they have scored for the season, 31 points. The next highest or next lowest game was 38 points against Mizzou in the first game of the season, um, especially for a team that averages 49.7 points per game. So holding them 19 points less than their season average, uh, that's pretty good. Also yards per point, Alabama was averaging 10.94 yards per point on their offensive efficiency, uh, that number increased versus Notre Dame to 14.1. So 
good on Notre Dame. Quarter by quarter breakdown, Notre Dame actually held Alabama out of three of the four quarters to much less than their season average. For the season, Alabama on average scores 12 points in the first quarter, 17.6 in the second, 10.2 in the third, and 9.9 in the fourth. But versus Notre Dame, they did 14 in the first. Meh, same old, same old. Seven, though, in the second, seven in the third, and only three in the fourth. So three out of the four is not bad. I wish we'd get that first quarterback and and do some other things different, of course. But you know what? Holding them off of their pace is, is pretty darn good. And I think having 17 points in the second, third, and fourth quarter for any opponent is not shabby at all. So defense for three of the four quarters did a pretty good job. And my initial impressions was that low scoring for Alabama because it clearly has a taper off, especially when you go to the fourth quarter, where I personally think Alabama took their foot off the gas. Um, They wanted to rest up. They clearly had the game in hand. Um, Notre Dame just was not getting it done on offense. And um, Alabama was not going for the throat. They were not going for the jugular. They just wanted to win, advance, uh, rest their players if they could, and and move on. This is clearly different, I think, a mentality in the playoffs versus the regular season. Where in the regular season, and this probably feeds over from the old BCS days, where you had to have style points. You had to run up the score. You had to have this impression that you were the greatest team, and Alabama is the greatest team right now this year in college football. But you had to run up the score in order to ensure you were in the high ranking for the playoffs so Alabama now knows they're in the playoffs whether you win by 50 points or you win by one point it doesn't matter you move on to the title game and so personally I thought that was what was going on here now I have a co-worker who is actually a graduate of the University of Alabama and I mentioned this theory to him and he actually doesn't think so he actually thinks that Alabama was still pursuing, and so either that shows one of us is either wrong or it, it proves that Notre Dame actually showed up and played a halfway decent for some of the game. So um, take that for what it is, but I thought that was worth mentioning. This Rose Bowl loss is not nearly as bad as some of the other New Year's Six losses. I know it's like we're, we're living in medi- mediocrity and we're comparing the time we got shot in the leg to the time we got shot in the arm here. But, um, and I don't mean shot in the arm, like, you know, you take stimulants and, and you're, you're just like all jacked up and ready to go. I mean, like, like you're bleeding and you require medical attention. In 2012, Notre Dame lost by 28 points. In 2015 to Ohio State, Notre Dame lost by 16 minus 27 to Clemson, minus 24 in the ACC title game. We only lost by 17 in this game. So we're second best as far as loss goes. I know that's kind of shitty to say. But compared to the average, we ran more plays. Um, Our run percentage was slightly above average. It's not the greatest it's ever been, but it's above average. Um, Definitely, this is the best rushing yards we've ever had in any of these New Year's Six losses. And yeah, I'm counting the ACC title game as a quote, New Year's Six. It's not a New Year's Six, but it has that same level of importance in my mind. We had 375 total yards versus the average of 318. Our completion percentage was halfway decent, 66%. On average, we're 61. 
Um, only one turnover. Usually it's one or two. Um, and uh, third down. Third down was the best it's ever been in any of these games. We were 50% on third down conversion. Now, in a vacuum, that's really good. And compared to these other games, all of them, the next highest is 38% in 2015 with Deshaun Kaiser versus Ohio State. But Alabama, their third down percentage was one of the best. It was 60%. So that's why Notre Dame did not get it done. Um, this is the first time we've actually beaten the opponent on time of possession, 56. Um, but our yards per point is still really bad, 26.79. It's not the worst, but it's the second worst it's ever been. So we put up a lot of yard points. You know, it just wasn't happening. So in general, the impression I get, this was not a blowout compared to 2012 or 2018. However, the best thing about that day, about New Year's Day, other than Happy New Year, is in the booth at ESPN, we did not have to listen to Herb Street and Fowler. Those guys, of course, were doing the announcements for the Ohio State-Clemson game, which is a little bit of surprising because uh, Herb Street is an Ohio State guy, so it seems there would be a little bit of a bias there, and he'd just be drooling all over Ohio State and all that. Um, but I guess ESPN thought that game was more compelling, even though Notre Dame had a lesser margin of defeat than the Tigers from Clemson. So Fowler annoys the hell out of me, and I'm really glad did not have to listen to him. I, I don't even know who the other two guys were we had we got to listen to, but um, it was not nearly as bad. Uh, so I'll happily deal with that. So that is the best thing about this game. No Herb Street, no Fowler. Moving into the bad. Notre Dame versus Alabama. First off, in that first quarter when Najee Harris hurdles us and then goes about 60 yards, that was such an amazing athletic play. I mean, you've got to tip your hat to that guy. I mean, that was outstanding. What an athletic play. And But as soon as it happened, I'm just like with my mouth, jaw open, and I'm just like, game over. It, it's just not happening. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff Alabama is doing to us. Um, I mentioned yards per point. 26.79 yards per point versus Bama's 14.1. It's almost twice as good as Notre Dame's, or Notre Dame's is twice as bad, Yeah, depending on how you want to be pessimistic or op optimistic there. Uh, it's not good. That That's bad. 26 yards for every point, that's, that's terrible. Uh, completion percentage versus quarterbacks. Mac Jones was 83%, and that's above his season average of 76%. So he is not getting rushed. Um, he's got the ball in the pocket for minimal amount of time, and he's, and he's chucking it to someone who's wide open. Mac Jones also had four passing touchdowns, which is, again, higher than his season average of three touchdowns per game. Devonta Smith, now Grant, this guy just won the Heisman this week, and, and he is a good player, and I, I said this was going to happen, but he just tore us up, ate us for lunch. It's like he it, he was putting on a clinic, three receiving touchdowns, and the second one, I believe, where he kind of like dives and like twists in midair, and I, I think he hurt his leg or something uh, when he came down, but that was a very athletic, amazing play uh, when I saw it on replay, and but three receiving touchdowns double his season average of one and a half touchdowns per game. 
Notre Dame's pass defense was quite frankly ineffective and we could do nothing versus Smith, Billingsley, and some of these other guys. Could you imagine if Alabama also had Waddle who hadn't gotten injured earlier in the season? Oh my goodness. Like they, they just tore us up and it's not so much that they were just, they caught the ball and then they, they made a good juke move and and they moved on. They were catching the ball and they were wide the hell open. And then our guys would make a move, but they would just run around our guys. We just looked so much slower. It was like high school versus you know NFL players out there. And they are NFL players, quite frankly, at this point. But this is the defense was, instead of a bend, don't break, it was more like a bend, then break defense uh, for the secondary. So it just, it just was a, a complete failure out there, just not good. You know, allowing a quarterback to complete 83% of all of his passes, that's not good. And Notre Dame's defense, like in this situation, you know they're fast. You know their quarterback is really good. I'm surprised they did not play a tighter man coverage. I mean, at what point, what do you have to lose, right? You need to do something different. You need to slow them down. And maybe if you're running side by side with him, then Mac Jones doesn't toss that ball. But, you know, it is what it is. That is what happened. Man, we just kept getting burned again and again, and we need to do something different on defense. Needs to be more aggressive. Contrast that to of Alabama's passing and receiving to Notre Dame. Notre Dame was not effective, quite frankly, at all on passing. Zero touchdowns. And each reception seemed like a struggle. Either Book is running around frantic or our guys are just under tight coverage and you know they got to make a catch, and as soon as they make the catch, they're tackled right and and yes you made the catch and 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 that did move the chains but there's no yards after the catch and and that is a problem versus Alabama they're wide the hell open and this is a subject um that I'm going to get into later on this podcast but Notre Dame's receivers are not catching the ball in space and that is a coaching problem Notre Dame has no deep threat in this game that allows Alabama's defenders to cheat up. Book maybe doesn't have the arm to throw it deep. Braden Lindsey, Jordan Johnson, these guys are, are not running down the field. We just didn't even, I don't even think we tried. Did we even try throwing the ball downfield, you know, uh, a seam route down the middle to someone, a post route, a fade? Give me something. Give me something deep. We didn't even try it. Look at all the other quarterbacks. Mac Jones, Justin Fields, what's the guy with the long hair from Clemson, whatever his name is, Lawrence, they all can throw the ball deep, and they tried it. At least their offensive coordinator tried it, and especially Ohio State. Ohio State scored, I think, like two, three times versus the Tigers, and again, that's what happens. High risk, high reward, but at least it keeps the defense honest, and Notre Dame didn't even try it, which allowed Alabama's pass defense to be way more effective than our pass offense. Now let's get into the ugly of this game. Notre Dame's offensive game plan, I did not appreciate. I don't know if you, let me back up. If you watched the Pitt game, if you watched the Florida State game, if you watched the first Clemson or even the the previous Clemson game, the, the ACC title game, Someone out there, please, and at me, at me on Twitter, at Faithful underscore Irish. What did Tommy Reese and Notre Dame's offense do differently to confuse Alabama's defense? What scheme 
or new formation did they come up with? I do like that they're moving people around and they get in one formation and they move to the other, but I've seen these formations, okay? There's nothing new. There's nothing unique. Another thing they're doing is they're spending way too much time risking uh, a delay of game penalty and burning a timeout, something stupid, because they are spending too much time worrying about what the defense is doing rather than running up to the ball and just running the play. But we did nothing unique. You know, no double running backs. No, give me an eye formation. Give me a split back. Give me a wishbone. Give me a wing tee. Give me something. Notre Dame is not doing anything different on offense to potentially confuse Alabama's defense. You can still run your same plays out of some of these formations. Some of them you can't, but throw something different at them. What was new? Nothing. I could see nothing. What really did it for me in the first quarter, it's third and eight, and Ian Book takes a quarterback sneak to the right side. Really? That was the play you guys called on third and eight? We're in the middle of the freaking field. You don't have a pass. You don't have an option. You don't have nothing. No, we're going to do a quarterback sneak. Ian Book is pretty fast. He's probably faster than me. He's definitely faster than me, right? A 36-year-old guy. But he's not Vince Young. He's not Michael Vick. All right. He's not Marcus Mariota. Why the hell are we calling third and eight quarterback sneak in the first quarter? All right. This is not going to, that's not going to be successful. And I knew right then and there uh, that our offense had just thrown in the towel and we were just sucking it up. Thank goodness for Mike Mayer and Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. You, you guys rocked. You guys came to play. You showed heart. You got a lot. You were the most productive members on the offense. Um, but like, look at McKinley. Two receptions. Skoranek had four. Um, I mean, the our two best receivers got six, caught six passes between the two of them. I mean, goodness gracious! Like, what is going on? Why are we not able to get these guys open in space? Why? Someone, please explain that to me. I appreciate the plan. After the third and eight quarterback sneak, that was not a sneak. It was not very sneaky at all. I appreciated that Notre Dame was trying to slow it down. They wanted to limit Alabama's uh, offensive possession numbers. They wanted to control the clock. And I'm okay with that, right? Hashtag RTDB, run the ball. But the thing is, we didn't run the ball. We only ran the ball 47% of the time, and that never goes well for Brian Kelly. It, it, we don't have Deshaun Kaiser out there, right? We don't have Everett Golson to do a Superman dive, right? It was not aggressive, nor was it effective. Now, compare this to Ohio State. Now, I'm not here to love on Ohio State, right? I, I want them to lose to Bama. But you can tell that that Ohio State, when they went to play Clemson, they had changed things up. Now, I have watched very, very little Ohio State football this year, but they called a play. They went to the line of scrimmage. They got down quickly, made sure, and Fields made sure everyone was set, and then they ran a play, all right? And they actually scored once on this, okay, because Clemson was confused. They're running around. They don't know where the hell to line up. They weren't set, and Ohio State caught them, you know, with their with their fly down, all right? Ohio State came ready. They were focused, and they said, I don't give a shit what your defensive formation is. We're running the damn play no matter what. This reminds me of the best high school football team ever. 
If you ever get the chance, now that football is over, go to YouTube and type in De La Salle, S-A-L-L-E, De La Salle uh, in like 1998 through like 2003. Late 90s, early 2000. The reason why I mentioned this team, they ran a very simple, basic offense, but they were extremely effective. It is the most, uh, I think they had like an eight-year undefeated win streak for their their high school it was amazing but the point i'm making is de la salle would call a play they would get set and the offensive line would get set in this like ready formation and they ran the play and there was precision and there was discipline on with those players from their coach bob latisauer look it up it's very impressive look at de la salle versus long beach poly it's it's a very very impressive game watch it it's very entertaining i'm definitely gonna do that in the off season but meanwhile instead of notre dame just calling the play and going they're they're making timeouts on a first and 10 like really why (laughs) you have the whole playbook first and 10 run the damn play right receivers are running into traffic you know and they're running like these 12 yard routes way down the field and then in the meantime there's like a huge 10 yard gap where there's nobody like give me a break instead of the coaching staff calling plays they're not penetrating the open space within the defense i I don't understand now there was one time that i recall where Skoranek, I think it was a broken play, but Skoranek ran his route, but he kept running across the field. And I think he cut his route out off early because he, he, he knew what was happening. And that's what experienced good players do. But he cut his route off and then he's just running across the field and Book hits him and he's wide the hell open. There's not anybody near him for like eight yards and he got yards after the catch. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. And he's wide the hell open. That only happened like once in this whole game. Maybe Mayer did it, but it was like a three-yard route. But my point is that is how Alabama was scoring all their offensive uh, catches. There was a few that they that were very athletic that were caught in traffic. But that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's very ugly what our passing offense looked like in this game. Now I want to make a comment about talent. Clearly Alabama has better players in the sense that their recruiting rankings over the last four years averages 2.25. And Notre Dame in that same amount of time over the last four years is 13.25. And other articles and podcasts keep saying that there's this huge talent disparity between Alabama and Notre Dame and all this other stuff. And, And that is true. But quite frankly, I think that is a bullshit excuse. I think that it does a disservice to the players it does a disservice to the team, and it takes less pressure off the coaches to do their freaking job. Recruiting is a very complicated, sometimes uh, messy process. Notre Dame is going to recruit players that meet many criteria. Many of them are kind of character, non-douchebag requirements. There's also the academic requirements to get into Notre Dame. All right. And I'm not going to do the, oh, well, if Notre Dame and Alabama players because they don't have the academics. Look, look, that that is Notre Dame. That is who we are. And that is actually a draw to why we are Notre Dame fans. All right. But there's many other things that go into why a player would choose Alabama or Miami 
or USC or Notre Dame or Ohio State or Michigan or wherever they go. It could be the weather. It could be near their hometown. They may want to go to a party school. They may want to live off campus in an apartment versus live in the dorm with parietals and Duloc, Res Life, all that stuff. They may be going to a certain school because they think they'll have a better opportunity for playing time. Some players choose Notre Dame because there's it's a 40-year decision, not a three years and then I'm going to go to the NFL. Some players don't want to go to class like you have to at Notre Dame, and they'd rather go to a school where you could just be a part of a football factory, all right? But the biggest thing is a winning record. Are you going to a school that has a good football program? Are you going to a school that has a winning record? It's no surprise that in high school, the best, best players tend to be, on average, in my opinion, at a school that has a good football a program such as Thomas Aquinas down in Florida, IMG Academy, Modern Day, De La Salle, Belmarine Prep, etc. These are high schools that just by the sheer performance year after year after year, they have good players that live in that area. And the, sometimes the players and their families move closer to said school so they can go there. So my point is a winning record for your college football team draws players automatically. Besides, Notre Dame has something that other places don't. Notre Dame is a special place. There is a sort of mystique. It's kind of Catholic Disneyland, whatever. And that is important to some players. All right. Seeing Martin Luther King and Father Ted in La Fortune, all right, when you're ordering your subway, okay, and seeing that portrait on the wall means something to some of these guys. And they say, I want to go to this school because this is the value that is part of this community that I can appreciate. And that's something I personally appreciate. But everything else I've just mentioned really comes down to personal preference of the individual, of the player, of the recruit. Do you not think that Brian Pullian and Brian Kelly are trying to get four and five star players? Of course they are. Absolutely. This is the one time in this podcast I'm going to defend Kelly. Or, well, maybe the second. But these they are trying to get good players. So this is almost like a gravity. They can't force these guys to sign up and play at Notre Dame. All right. The best thing that helps recruiting that Brian Kelly can control is winning. But you have to win with what you have right now. And then later on when you win a title or you win a New Year's Six or whatever, then you get the real guys, right? Alabama has good players. Why? Because they've won five titles and have had three Heisman Trophy winners. So no wonder they're going to get five-star players. They're naturally drawn to success. Success breeds more success. So how can recruiting and talent get better? Keep winning. Just win. So I don't want to hear people talking about, oh, talent. Oh, we just have this talent disparity. That's such a bitch-ass attitude, right? Just go forward with what you have, change the game plan, and move on, all right? Good coaches make changes, and when you see a mistake, you correct it, and you provide opportunity for the future with that correction specifically offensive passing going back to the present with this rose bowl and just in general over the last couple years i want to pick on ian book a little bit just a little bit 
I have great respect for the guy. I like the guy. I wish him luck in his future. But over the last three years that he's been our quarterback, his numbers are as follows. Total touchdowns for each season. He went from 23 to 37 down to 15. Completion percentage, 68, 60, 64%. Passing touchdowns as a percentage of all touchdowns scored, 45%, 60%, 29%. So what does that mean? Notre Dame this year had 29% of all their touchdowns came from the pass. So those 15 passing touchdowns, 29% of all their touchdowns. Touchdowns per game. Book his first season, 1.58, then 2.61, then 1.25 lowest it's ever been and then yards average yards thrown per game 219 233 and 236 there is not a significant improvement over the third years this is the best quarterback notre dame has had as far as win percentage and and wins total and he is actually showing in some areas digression of performance 15 passing touchdowns from his lowest previous, which was 23. Touchdown percentage of all all, all touchdowns scored, 29%. 1.25 touchdowns per game. That ain't good. So I, I don't think it's necessarily Book's fault why that's happening. And yes, there's an element with the receivers here. But honestly, look, Skoranek's talent, he's had the best tight end he's ever had in Mayer. Okay, Javon McKinley was not being thrown to. Are we really honestly thinking that Chris Fink was one of the greatest receivers he's ever had? No. Boykin and Claypool were very good, but I've talked about this in previous podcasts. It's not overwhelmingly in their favor. The point is, I don't think it's the receiver's fault. Regardless, the number of touchdowns as a percentage has gone down as far as passing goes. The national champion scores touchdowns about a 50 50 split between rushing and passing the national champion scores on average 36.9 rushing touchdowns a season and 36.1 passing touchdowns a season notre dame this year was 33 rushing touchdowns which is really good that's right at right at that watermark so notre dame rushing very good which makes me very hopeful for the future and 15 passing touchdowns this season. That is a 64 to 29% split. That's not good at all. Who is to blame for this? Who is responsible for this? Or what is drastically different this year versus the previous two years? I'll tell you what it is. It's the offensive coordinator. The previous two years, we had Chip Long. Chip Long knew that we needed an equal distribution of touchdowns scored between passing and rushing my hot take is this we need to fire tommy reese tommy reese though some of his formations and schemes are good and his rushing is actually higher than it's ever been but the passing touchdowns is a huge huge problem and i think it's the play calling i think it's the relationship of quarterback to receiver and quite frankly reese is not developing book to be this great quarterback he couldn't do it with Wimbush he certainly didn't do it with Book this season so if Brian Kelly wants to take ownership of the problem and why he's not scoring more points on offense 
the clear indicator for me, the warning light on the dashboard here, is you're not scoring enough passing touchdowns. So fire Reese and move on to someone else. Which brings me to Brian Kelly as far as ugly with this game. Now, I'm not going to get on this podcast here and say we need to fire Brian Kelly. I don't see that happening. Over the last four years, he has a record of 43-8, and an 84% win percentage, which is very, very good. Um, He's gone undefeated in the regular season twice in that time span, and he's done it once before in 2012. But again, he has not won a New Year's Six. But I'm going to be happy that he has an 84% win percentage. And I'm going to be happy we've gone undefeated twice in the last four years. But I still also believe that Brian Kelly has been hired by Notre Dame at the worst possible time to hire any coach because Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban are, quite frankly, amazing. Now, Grant, Dabo kind of screwed the pooch versus Ohio State, so good on Ryan Day there. But... If you don't have a Heisman Trophy quarterback or running back or receiver, or you don't have Urban Meyer as your head coach, you're not going to win a title. All right. That is what has happened ever since 2009. Look it up. Every other team, 2010, Cam Newton, Heisman, 2013, Jameis Winston, Florida State, Jimbo Fisher, Heisman. All right. 2014, it was Ohio State because of Urban Meyer, and he had two freaking titles before that at Florida. All right, every other school that has won since then was either Clemson or Alabama or LSU with Joe Burrow, another Heisman Trophy winner. So, so Kel- Kelly is not going anywhere. Everyone embrace that. The days are here to stay. All right, Kelly is here for the next four years or whatever his contract. Whether he gets renewed again, I, I really don't know. But I don't think he, he's going to be around for, you know, 10 more years. I, I don't see that happening. But Brian Kelly's press conference at the end of the game was so flippin' ridiculous. I get it and kind of appreciate his kind of annoyed coachness at the end of the, the press conference. You know, the first two questions were basically the same, and they're asking about, uh, how he's lost a New Year's Six again, and it hasn't been close again. And so I get that he's kind of annoyed with that. Honestly, that's that burden is on Kelly. This is something you have to burden, sir. You are the head coach at Notre Dame, and no coach has won New Year's Six since 1994. And every time, every other coach before you, including yourself, who has gone to one of these games, a Fiesta Bowl, whatever, whether it was Bob Davey or Charlie Weiss, doesn't matter. All of them have gotten their butts kicked in these New Year's Six games. They're not these, you know, one-point losses. This is the hot news in the media. This was kind of the story going into the game and clearly was for the next couple of days after the game that, oh, once again, poor Notre Dame, uh, they, they can't pull it together in a big game. So Brian Kelly has to own that. And Notre Dame has to own it. And quite frankly, the beat writers that follow Notre Dame and the fan base is really getting irritated and sick and tired of dealing with this crap. But Kelly's response really threw me off with question three, where he talks about our local people would show appreciation. What the hell does that mean? 
Does he want bootlickers? Does he not want to be asked tough questions? Does he want everyone to ignore the blinding obvious fact that you don't win big games that actually matter, that have a legit trophy, but you want to just, oh no, see, we won 10 games this season. Look, man, people are sick of this shit. All right, we're sick of getting blown out in big games. All right, and quite frankly, coach, you should too. I am so sick and tired of not winning a New Year's Six and having to come in on January 2nd or whatever first day of work is with my tail between my legs at work. And it's not about my ego. I want Notre Dame to win one of these big games, win a playoff game, win a Sugar Bowl, whatever. You're the head coach at Notre Dame, the expectations are high. And you know this. There is no other place like the University of Notre Dame and all of college football. We demand excellence. We demand victory. Our freaking fight song is cheer, cheer for all Notre Dame. Onward to victory. All right. We expect winning in big games. And when it doesn't happen, we're pissed off. I feel bad for the people that put hard-earned money into a plane ticket risking COVID, going down to Texas, um, having to eat water, water burger instead of in and out because they made a poor decision there. But they spent a lot of money to go to one of these games and once again, watch their Irish lose badly. All right. Not going undefeated is also not good. 10 and 2 seasons, 10 and 3 seasons are unacceptable in my opinion. Brian Kelly, you are at Notre Dame. You need to own the fact that you are the head man in charge of this football team that has not won a major bowl game since the 1994 Cotton Bowl. Own it and fix it. Stop asking people to not ask you those tough questions. Just say, I didn't get it done and move on. All right. And we're going to find success. He kind of turned around saying we're going to keep coming back here, but he's not offering me not offering any solutions. I'm offering a solution right now. Fire Reese. All right. That let's start there. Look at the numbers. We're not scoring passing touchdowns. Start there. Do something, man. All right. You did it in 2017. You were completely embarrassed with a four and eight record and you canned everybody. You increased the strength program. You brought in some new people. You stepped outside of your comfort zone. And I appreciate that. And you look at your record since then. 84% win percentage. That is a watermark of improvement, noticeable improvement from the previous winning percentage that it was before. So if you don't like this, Brian Kelly, and you don't like the tough questions, too damn bad. The questions are going to keep coming. I'm going to keep coming on this podcast and keep poking at you and harping on this. And quite frankly, the beat writers better do the same, all right? If they get continue to get soft on Kelly, I'm going to be pissed off. It's probably why I don't read their crap anyway. But reflect on why you lost and Fix it. All right. Next week, we're going to get into more details on this subject about uh, proving why Reese is not an effective offensive coordinator, why he is not effectively developing his quarterbacks, why Kelly, quite frankly, hasn't in the 11 seasons he's been at Notre Dame. But um, that will be the last podcast of the season. Uh, We're going to quantify also how great the Marcus Freeman hire is. We know it's good. Uh, don't know how he compares to the other guys, the other, you know, the the Brett Venables. He's kind of the, the gold standard, uh, although he didn't do a good job versus Ohio State. We're going to have, and, and we're also going to do some other season recap stuff uh, 
next week after the title game. Speaking of the title game, Alabama versus Ohio State. Uh, who are you guys cheering for? Are you cheering for a, a comet to come down and and uh, and hit um, New Orleans? <laughs> oh no, no no no! The game's in Florida. It's at Hard Rock. Ooh, ooh. Maybe it's a good thing Notre Dame lost, and we'd have to go back to Hard Rock because the last two times we were there were not very nice. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> who are you cheering for? The Comets? Um, I'm actually going to be rooting for Bama. Um, and there's a couple reasons why. The main reason is they're good, and I, I just, quite frankly, think they're going to win. But I live in the Midwest, and I don't want to have to deal with Ohio State people. I, I don't want to deal with the Buckeye people, Buckeye Nation around me, you know, just saying, oh, Buckeyes, yay, you know, and, on, you know, talk about the Ohio State. It's the most annoying, stupidest thing, converting an article of the English language into a fucking proper noun. Excuse my French there. Ugh, it's the stupidest thing. Ugh. But um, I'm going to actually root for Bama. Um, and I look back at all of Alabama's titles from 2009 up to um, 2017. They played Texas, then LSU, then Notre Dame, then Clemson, then Georgia. I cheered for all five of those teams in all of those title games and um, <laughs> against Bama. So this is the first time I'm actually going to quote-unquote root. I'm not really root. You know, I'm not buying an Alabama hoodie or anything. But I am going to be uh, actively rooting for Bama. I think it's also part of that weird you know, A is greater than B kind of logic where, well, if Notre Dame lost to Bama, the national title uh, person, then that makes Notre Dame look better, which is, in my mind, justified. So one final note, funny story. Uh, this week, after a long day of work, had to go to the store. I was at Costco, and I'm pushing my cart and stuff around, and I see this guy, and he's with his wife, and, and he's got an Alabama hoodie on that says, you know, Crimson Tide or, you know, all that stuff. And I, without even thinking about it, I walk by this guy. You know how you pass people down the aisle of a grocery store? I see this guy, and I shout out to him, Roll Tide. And he responded back, Roll Tide. And so, so, did, so did his wife. So I, I think that's some sort of deep uh, underlying thing. I can see that I'm losing followers right now on Twitter. But I do think Alabama is going to win. Um, I'm not going to root against them for the first time ever, I think. I think I don't think I've ever rooted for Bama, um, but I do respect them. I respect the win percentage and the titles and the dynasty that Nick Saban has created over there. So um, I don't really care for him so much, but uh, hey, respect for uh, where it has been earned. So that is all I have for you this afternoon, everyone. Um, enjoy the title game on monday or maybe you will just boycott it um but hey anything is better than this political bullshit we're having to deal with right now so anyway uh take care everyone go irish beat no one